interesting to me you say that, you know, for a long walk, you know, I have lost some so, you know, obviously you know, the body's changing, you know, throughout the time. And you know, there was a time where I was just really kind of, just kind of angry, and, you know, everybody goes through that period of, you know, their life where things are changing and you don't want it to. People would tell me, one woman I remember telling me, saying, you know, your muscular dystrophy is a gift, you know, it is your teacher, you can learn from it. And I never understood what she meant. And hearing you talk about this tonight, it's like, now I get that, you know, like, there is change going on in this body, and I have to learn that when I get wrapped, which I don't do anymore as much, but you know, when I get wrapped up in thinking, oh, I can't do this, or I can't do that, or things are going to get worse, or which I don't really do, and I can find the mind going in and spinning out of control and cleaning things and why it's happening to me and for me, but that's not the way it is, you know, I see it. Kind of just relaxing, realizing that you know, this is one form that I'm in, and this isn't really who I am, the body. Mm-hmm. And so, it, to me, you know, I'm much more peace mm-hmm. with, with all of that, and just kind of letting go and saying, well, whatever happens, happens. And, and so, it was really interesting to hear you talk about change and resting and stillness and allowing the chaos and just kind of settle down and not feel attached to it. And I really feel like, yeah, this is a gift, what I have, going, what I'm going through. And, to cultivate my own, in, you know, spiritual being and, mm-hmm. and ascend to a higher level or whatnot. I don't know, but it definitely is a better twist on that thinking for me and why it's happening. And also, John, one of the things that completely maximizes the potential for change is that place of of stillness. You know. So, you know, I never thought or dreamed that I would be completely well of all this chemical sensitivity and all whatever, you know. I mean, I figured I'd get better, but I figured it would be there for, you know, a long time. But the ability to not hang on to anything, even sickness, is opens up the doors for shifts and change, which even allows for wellness, you know. So... Somebody posted something, I haven't had a chance to look at it yet, about um, somebody giving a talk on neuroplasticity of brain and how just this, the fact that our brain is capable of shifting and changing and rewiring itself, which allows us to come up with compassionate responses that normally in the past would have made us angry, you know, gives rise to huge potentials of what is possible in this world that normally we can't think of or conceive of. When I was living in Australia, I was living in the bush in Australia, and I met a man by the name of Max. And Max was absolutely luminous. I mean, he was so radiant. And every everybody, everybody loved to hang out with Max. Everybody did. And Max's story was is that he was a super genius. I mean, like, so genius. Like, who knows how genius he was, but he was so genius. It was hard to map how genius he was. And he had as a kind of like, um, he had a super duper computer job. And then I can't exactly remember whether this was a hobby or what, but he designed a solar powered motorboat where the solar panels would change according to the direction of the sun in order to power the boat. And he designed the computer software that would track and then design the technology that would follow the sun and then supervise the building and the assembly of the boat. Okay, so this happened, and this boat was going to be like a super-duper special thing for the dignitaries to be taken across the harbor in uh, Sydney for the Olympics, when the Olympics were there. 
Okay, so he had a crazy year and a half of, you know, 18, 20 hour days nonstop. And he was a very devout practitioner, and at the end of this time, he managed to get the boat done. The thing was working and sailing and functioning, and he was really looking forward to this monastic retreat. And on a monastic retreat, it's a 10-day retreat, and they take vows for 10 days. So they shave their heads, and they take on robes, and they take vows. And, and at the end of the time, they give back the robes, and they don't give back their hair. And and his wife came. You know, they were heading out the door to, to go back home, and he needed to use the toilet. He went to the toilet. There was blood everywhere. So they took him to the emergency room, and they did a number of tests on him, and it turned out that he had advanced renal cancer. The doctors gave him three weeks to live. And so, you know, he just came off of this 10-day retreat, and he's just been given notice he's got three weeks to live, and it's like, you know, what do you do? You've got three weeks to live, what do you do? So, you know, he had a wife, he had kids, he had a family. So he thought, well, you really, the only thing that he needed to do was to tell his family and the people he loved how much he loved them. That was it. That was the only thing he needed to do. But somehow he figured out, and this is really genius, this is really, really, really genius, that the best way that he'd be able to share with his family how much he loved them was as if he loved himself. And somehow, the conditions were ripe where everything that was keeping him from fully loving himself fell away. And so he was like resting in love, you know. So he totally got it that, you know, his body was dying. He knew that. It was like, you know, he was with the program. But it was like he was absolutely luminous. Absolutely luminous. So the doctors told him he had three weeks to live. He ended up living for like over two years. And the cancer spread and was everywhere. I mean, it was in his heart, it was in his brains, it was in the bones, it was in every single organ. It was like everywhere. And he'd go in for the scans and the doctors would look at him and say, listen, you know, if anybody else walked in with a scan like this, we'd say, you've got three days. But for you, go away, come back in three months, you know. It was like his physiology was operating on love. It wasn't operating on normal physiology. You know, and he talked about this time as being, without a doubt, the best time of his life. Because he knew, basically, at that point, he wasn't going anywhere. I mean, he knew his body was dying, but he knew he wasn't going anywhere. And he knew it was going to be hard for his family, and that was hard for him to watch his family having to watch him. But something had shifted where he kind of got it. You know, who he was and what life was all about. So here he was dying, and in pain, and cancer was everywhere, and all he could say was this was the best time of his life, because he really understood what was going on as a human being. He was absolutely not at all confused. And what was amazing to me was, you know, his genius shifted from being, you know, this, like, brains the size of Kansas to this heart the size of, you know, so it was like his heart was directing the show. And just a very impressive human being. He did die. He did die. Bodies die. That's what they do. But, you know, he lived his last few years. He was not confused. He was at peace. And, you know, I see other members of, like, I watch what my father went through, you know, in terms of, like, just couldn't. You know, he had been in the hospital, you know, with 105 fever, and I was in communication with my brother, and I brought, they were bringing him home. And I said to my brother, I said, you know, do you have a backup plan if he's not? able to get to the toilet in the morning? He answered, no. <laughs> so, you know, I said to Dad, I said, you know, Dad, why don't you get a commode, you know? Why don't you just get a commode? If you need it, you can bring it by the toilet, by the bed, and you can use it. And 
garage. You don't need to have it in here now. You can just keep it in the garage. He said, it would be terrible going to the toilet in the garage. It's too cold. I said, you just keep it in there, and then when you need it, you bring it in. He said, no. You know, if David needs to get one, he'll, it'll take an hour for him to get one. I don't, it's like, can't, can't do it. Just can't go there, you know. And the other family members who, you know, have lived incredibly healthy and independent lives, and, you know, their bodies are getting old, and things are not working, and it's, they're miserable, because they haven't been able to, they're not yet with the program, you know, not there yet. So when it's possible to see that the conditions that we have, the challenges that we have, are a blessing, you know, they're an opportunity, then all of the resistance, the fighting, the wishing, the hoping, the wanting, the pumi, the all of that, doesn't have a foothold. And, you know, you can just get on with living life as full and creative and healthy and loving as you can. And whether you get better or you don't get better, in some ways, it's, it's none of your business. Your business is to be an awake, alive, a loving human being with what's going on. It's wonderful. But there is something that's also very interesting about this whole process, which is, is that we need to let go, but we also need to stay engaged. And we need to do both simultaneously. And that, for most people, is challenging. Either we let go, and then we don't care, or we get engaged and we get obsessed and we don't let go. But to do both at the same time is really challenging. So, you know, I haven't had muscular dystrophy, but I've had my share of health problems. And my experience is, is that when I can let go of an attachment to an outcome and stay engaged with different modalities of treatment possibilities that might help me get better, that's the right mixture. That was one of the things that drove me crazy about John of God's place. You know, people, their discernment just flew out the window with the faith that they had, you know. So... John of God is a faith healer in Brazil. And nothing happens by human effort. It happens by entities, so it's not, they're not visible. By me, I can't see them. Other people can see them. I can't. And so everybody has this, like, faith thing that gets totally out of proportion. So they attribute everything that happens there to the entities. So I was standing at this pavilion looking out over this outer moat, and there was a car driving in front of us. And they said, that's an entity. I said, it's a car. I said, no, it's an entity. <laughs> It was a real car driving down the road to go to the waterfall. You know that road in yeah. front of the pavilion? Yeah. <laughs> so it's like discernment is like totally non-functional. And faith takes over everything. And it's not that faith is bad. Faith is a good thing. But faith without discernment can be dangerous, as far as I'm concerned. I imagine that also happens as a parent. You know, the whole process of staying engaged and letting go, you know, where you have to know what's age-appropriate the children, whatever age they're at, staying engaged with them. There also has to be, a, you know, some ways of letting go of, of outcome. Yeah, you know, there's only so much you can do for any number of ways, you know, I suppose. They have a lot of stuff they need to figure out for themselves. You know, I suppose if I'm always consistent with what I, you know, how I am with them, I think that helps a lot, even though other things that, you know, because they have disappointments and happy times and you know, just from being there. But it's hard, it's hard to watch you get, get sad about stuff or be happy about stuff and you know it's, it's going to be a very short time you're going to be crying about it, or, you know, for any number of things. It's interesting that under the different ages, they're still young, they're still really young. Yeah, there's a whole huge practice of being present with somebody that you love who's suffering and, you know, entering into that territory in a way that is present and supportive, but understanding that no matter how wise and skillful you are, you can't take away a suffering 
from somebody else. But parent, that's a hard learning. It's a really hard learning. It's hard sometimes just to stay present to, like, you know, the whole spinning out thing. So, a couple weeks ago, John hurt his hip and he wasn't able to get out of bed. And, and you know, there were times when I was just able to stay present with what needed to be done. But then there was other times where I was thinking, you know, what if he doesn't get well? Or what if this is now, like, what's going to what be like? And, you know, and, you know, it's hard to just pull myself back. Because, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, he doesn't know what's going to happen either. But when I could just be present and engaged, I guess, just helping, you know, doing what needed to be done then, I was able to let go of what might be. Because, I don't know. It's tricky territory. You know, because Chana's muscular dystrophy, you know, we both know that. And, you know, I don't know the normal progression with that, but there would be a normal progression with that, you know. John of God might have a different take on that. What that means, we don't know either, you know. So you're dealing with information that you have, and how do you hold it, you know? How do you hold that information? I don't think it's wise to dismiss it. I don't think it's wise to cement it. It's a very interesting practice. How do you hold that information? And then what kind of choices do you make? Do you want to get married? Do you want to have children? And I imagine those are things that are probably up for you, you know, in terms of conversations that you've had, or how do you make those decisions, or when do you make those decisions, or what you need to have in place in order to make those decisions, you know. And, you know, I certainly don't have answers. But I know that dismissing information is not the way. And so cementing it isn't either. And so there's got to be another way. It's between these two extremes that feels like the right way. And I imagine it's going to take some time to feel your way through this territory into something that feels the right way. That would be my guess. But yes, you know, there's a setback, and what does that mean, you know? Is this the way it's not going to be, you know? And how do you relate to it? I don't know. So the kind of poignancy of the, of the question is very alive. And yet, you know, on some levels, you know, all we have really is to move forward with uh, the present moment and our best sense of where we are in that, you know. And John, in some ways, is in the situation we're all in, is that we don't know. I mean, John's don't know is somehow more, more don't know-ish. You know, any one of us could be in a car crash tomorrow and be paraplegic, you know, or not speaking or incontinent or, you know, any one of us, you know, so... Yeah, I don't know. But I certainly feel that in a situation like this, what's right is just to take your time and to feel it out and just to feel what feels right. Not from your head, from, you know, your body and your belly and your sense of things and just see what it, you know, what it, how things feel. And that's what I do. And, you know, I, I'm a shapeshifter. You know, I get myself into pickles and all of a sudden it kind of like the universe shifts around, you know. That's happened to me so many times I can't, I can't count them anymore. You know, I've been dreadfully sick about one thing or another thing, and then it just shifts in an instant. It's just gone. It's like, eh? So, yeah, there's no shortage of opportunities to watch our minds in terms of the way we can react to stuff. But, you know, I was so grateful that you came the other day. I don't remember when it was. And, you know, this has been a rough time for me, you know, challenge. My energy's been low, and my mind states have been low, and, you know, there's just been a Okay, and then the next day I got on my bike, I thought, you know, I just got on my bike. You know, I got on my bike, and I'm going, you know. There are people in this world who cannot get on their bike and go, you know. But it's like there's so many things that one just completely takes for granted. 
the stuff that one's working with becomes so much here, and you just forget the perspective. And so, you know, one of the lovely things about community is, is, is that, you know, you can both touch each other when it's challenging, as well as keep opening up the perspective about what it is that you're navigating. And that's the real beauty of it. Do you like something to drink? Should I put a kettle on, or just put some water or something? I'll do that. Uh, yeah, okay. It's nice when we had tea the other day. I enjoyed that.